Well, good morning. My name is Ryan, and it's good to be with you. If you're visiting us, we're glad you're here. And as I said in the first service, I feel like this is service as well is filling up a little bit. So I know uh, with all of the uncertainty of just the mess that is COVID-19 um, and vacation time in the summer and that kind of thing, um, we're glad you're here. We're glad you're with us and hope that as we continue along to sort of um, take this in some ways day by day, week by week, whatever, uh, that you be patient and continue to be patient with us as we pray for, for you all too. Uh, but it's good to be with you. Glad you're here. Um, so we continue along in the book of Acts. We're in chapter 12, and I'm going to read this whole chapter, well, at least up to verse 24 in full. I think that's the whole chapter. Maybe there's one more verse. And I, we, we don't, we've been trying to shorten uh, the services because you're in masks, and so we haven't, we've kind of cut some things where we need to, and we haven't been able to read the, the full text as, as we want to, and today I'm going to. Um, and I think this is just good for us to, you know, maybe we're not accustomed to listening to, you know, this much reading. It's not a lot, but I think you begin to hear the full narrative and flow of the story better. Um, this will be the last major account that Luke will write of Peter. And we'll hear Peter maybe a couple times uh, down the road here a bit, but everything's going to shift to Paul and his missionary journey to bring the gospel to the ends of the earth, which will be Rome for him uh, at this point in time. And uh, so this is, this is sort of this last bit of story for Peter uh, before he kind of goes into uh, seems to be hiding, um, you know, to, to kind of just continue to, to work for the church as he can and the ways that he can uh, before he comes to his own death. So with that, let's give our attention to the reading of God's word found in the book of Acts chapter 12, verses 1 to 24. About the time, about that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with a sword, and when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread, and when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Now when Herod was about to bring him out, on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and centuries before the door were guarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him, saying, Get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands, and the angel said to him, Dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and he followed him. He did not know that what was being done, uh, that what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. When they had passed the first and the second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them on its own accord and they went out and went along one street and immediately the angel left him. When Peter came to himself, He said, now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. Verse 12, when he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. And when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer Recognizing Peter's voice and her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. They said to her, you are out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so. And they kept saying, it is his angel. 
But Peter continued knocking, and when they opened, they saw him and were amazed. But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, tell these things to James and to the brothers. Then he departed and went to another place. Verse 18, now when day came, there was no little disturbance among the soldiers over what had become of Peter. And after Herod searched for him and did not find him, he examined the sentries and ordered that they should be put to death. Then he went down from Judea and Caesarea and spent time there. Now Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon. And they came to him with one accord. And having persuaded Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they asked for peace because their country depended on the king's country for food. On an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes, took his seat upon the throne, and delivered an oration to them. And the people were shouting, The voice of a God and not of a man. Immediately, an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory, and he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. Verse 24, But the word of God increased and multiplied. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray and ask God to teach us his word this morning. Gracious Heavenly Father, as we come to your word in Acts 12, we pray now that your spirit would teach us, would open our eyes and our ears, that we may see and hear and behold things otherwise we could not. Would you be our teacher and guide at this time? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Christians, uh, as you may or may not have heard before, sometimes referred to as people of the promise. That's a new phrase maybe for some of you, but Christians are, in fact, people of the promise. That is, our faith is in a God who has made promises to us, to his people. And while many of those promises have come to fruition, we are people still waiting, right, on one particular promise to be made good on, and that is the return of our King, Jesus himself, to make all things new, as the book of Revelation tells us. To bring his kingdom to bear fully in this place is another way to put that. So until then, we wait, but we are still people of the promise. Now, before we move, as I said, to the first missionary journey of Acts and Paul, Luke includes this final account with Peter and Herod that ultimately shows that nothing can or will stop God's promises from coming true. But this account also doesn't hide the the despair and the hopelessness that exists at times in this life as we wait to see how God will, in fact, act. See, what the early church, as we've been seeing, knew so well was the daily practice and reminder that this place right now is not our home. Because as people of the promise, our home is what? With Jesus. And in our death, what we go to be with him until what he returns here, fulfilling the final promise he has made to his people where he resurrects our bodies to be with him and his kingdom in full here. And it is this controlling narrative, right? This promise that is the controlling narrative of our life as Christians. And what I want to suggest is that actually forgetting that this world is not our home now, that we are citizens of another kingdom that isn't fully here yet, forgetting that can actually cause us to hope in the wrong things, Like, what this life right now has to offer me. 
which ultimately, as you maybe have found out, leads to despair. When Christians mistake this world as it is, as our home, we become what disconnected then from the gospel mission as we've been seeing in Acts. But remembering that our home is with Jesus and that this is secure and cannot be taken away gives what us the ability to then carry on the gospel mission even in the most hopeless of circumstances as we see here in Peter. So let's look at this passage in two contrasting accounts. We'll look at the the hopelessness of the passage first, and then we'll look at the hope in the passage second. So let's do that. First, the hopelessness in this passage. Verses 1 and 5 tell us that King Herod was violently persecuting these followers of Jesus because it put him in good standing with the Jews. Now, there's a lot of Herods in the Bible. This is not the same one that you read throughout. There's, there's his uncle, which is you know, the great, great king, uh, Herod, who... Um, maybe yeah, Herod the Great, I think is what it's called. Uh, there's Herod Antipas that tried Jesus. There's uh, maybe, I think it's a brother, if not a brother-in-law, uh, that killed John the Baptist. There's a lot of them. So it's a little confusing, but just so you know, it's not the same one. It's a different one. Um, and, uh, and he now um, is, is king here in Palestine, but it's a Roman providence. And when you're dealing in that situation, as we've seen with all of the, the Herods, like, you have to keep the peace with Rome. And one of the ways that you keep the peace with Rome is you keep the peace with what's going on in your own community. And one of the ways you do that is you stomp out what is normally or typically a minority movement that is causing unrest. And at the time right now, it is these followers of Jesus, these these Christians, who are causing all this unrest. And and it's not necessarily them, it's the Jews themselves who are up in, in arms about this. And so politically speaking, it is Herod's best, in his best interest to side with the Jews at this point, though they don't really like him either, in order to keep the peace. That's what this looks like politically. So what does Herod do? In verse 2, it says that he killed James, the brother of John, with a sword, beheaded him, which pleased the Jews. Now, if we recall, James and his brother John, these are the sons of Zebedee, were disciples of Jesus who made that request in Mark 10, asking to what? To sit at Jesus' right and left in his glory. Upon which Jesus says to him, you do not know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism which I will be baptized? To which James and John replied, we are able. And Jesus tells them in summary, oh, you will share in my sufferings, but to have those seats in the kingdom of heaven is not for me to decide. Well, here we are. James is arrested and beheaded. John, his brother, will be exiled to the island of Patmos. Revelation 1.9 will tell us that. Yes, indeed, they will and did share in the sufferings of Jesus. As verse 3 then reads, When he, Herod, saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. All right, so let's review here for a second. Herod right, has arrested James and has had him beheaded. It's what many call a show trial or a public display of power to please a group of people while appearing strong and committed to their interests. And it went over so well with the Jews that Luke tells us, right? Herod thought, let's do it again. Go get Peter. 
So Peter is arrested and he knows why and he knows where this ends. His fate will be the same as James, except we read it is the days of unleavened bread, which immediately followed Passover. And as we all know here this morning, right, according to Jewish law, no trial or sentence can be handed down uh, on Passover until it's over. And so Peter gets put in prison to wait his sentencing the next day, which brings us to verse 6. Now when Herod was about to bring him out, on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and centuries before the door were guarding the prison. This is where Peter is at this point. This This is the hopelessness of the passage that as we're reading, we need to enter into. All of us have been here in some shape or form or another. That is, this life, right, at times presents hopeless situations. Despair enters into our life. Our circumstances don't look great, even for the greatest of optimists in here. And it's okay to be honest about that. What I've grown so much to love about Scripture is that it doesn't hide these moments. It doesn't try to sanitize real life and the hopelessness that our circumstances can bring to us at times. And the reason that it doesn't hide the hopelessness at times is because hope, real hope, is never ultimately meant to be found here. In our circumstances. Why? Because this Christian is not your home. This is why Jesus says to his followers, you will share in my sufferings. But rest assured, I will be with you till the end of the age. Peter goes to sleep in a cell that night, locked up, chained with guards all around him, thinking the next time that I wake, it will be because it's time for my own public execution, just like James. There is real hopeless and sadness, sadness here. In one sense, it is despair also in another, but it is especially so if you believe that this world is all there is, if you believe that this is your home. Yet Peter somehow finds a way to sleep. Something we'll come back to in a moment. This is the hopelessness of the passage that I want us to see first. Peter awaits his execution. Herod seems to be in control Let's turn now to the hope in the passage. This gets to the second half of our sermon. The hope in the passage here seems obvious at first, right? As we read along, Peter is awakened. But it is not for his execution, is it? It is for his escape. And in the end, it's actually Herod who suffers defeat and dies a terrible death. So what happened? Luke tells us first that in verse 5, while Peter was in prison, earnest prayer was made to God by the church. Now, this is no small matter for Luke if you've been following along with us in this series, right? In fact, prayer is one of the the biggest takeaways from this book, also from this chapter. However, Luke never says that it's because of their prayer that God rescues Peter, but the two certainly go hand in hand. I'm sure that they prayed for James too. By verse 7, an angel of the Lord strikes Peter on the side and wakes him saying, get up. An angel tells him to put on his cloak and shoes and to follow him. Peter doesn't know if this is real, according to the text, but thinks he has seen a vision. 
The angel then takes him past the guards, the locked gates, and finally out of the city. When Peter comes to, he then realizes this was from God himself who rescued him from Herod and all that the Jewish people were expecting that morning. Verse 11. Luke continues, once Peter realized what had happened, he goes to Mary's house. This is the mother of Mark who wrote the Gospel of Mark, where they all were praying for Peter's release. Now, this must have been a meeting place for these early Christians. Some even think that this could possibly have been the place where Jesus and his disciples had their last meal. Verse 13 states that Peter knocks on the door and a servant girl named Rhoda, no small thing, by the way, that this girl's name was remembered. The detail here is impressive hears that it's Peter, and in her excitement doesn't answer. But what? She goes to tell the others whose response is, you're out of your mind. John Stott does not miss the irony here, saying that the group who were praying fervently and persistently for Peter's deliverance should regard as mad the person who informed them that their prayers had been answered. Guilty of that. Rhoda says in verse 15, or the, the people there say in verse it is his angel. And F.S. Bruce notes that the angel is here conceived of as a man's spiritual counterpart, capable of assuming his appearance and being mistaken for him. But verse 16 lets us know that what? Peter knocks again. It was really him. Peter enters the house, motioning to everyone to be silent. They were amazed and excited, and who wouldn't be? But it's important not to create a ruckus, so to speak, because Herod would soon be, what, looking for Peter uh, that morning. Verse 17 says that Peter described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. One commentary says that this is perhaps the most important statement in the whole narrative because it is the Lord who is active here, and it is Peter who is passive. This is God at work. Peter was asleep. Had to be awakened. Wasn't even sure this was happening. Peter's last words are, tell these things to James, which would be Jesus' own brother, not the, obviously the James who was beheaded. And it seems that for now, James is the one taking Peter's role as the leader of the church in Jerusalem. And tell these things to the brothers and sisters or to the rest of the Christian assembly in Jerusalem From here, Peter goes into hiding or into another place, as we are told, and very little of Peter will be heard of again in the book of Acts as we look to Paul and his missionary journeys. The rest of chapter 12 then, verses 18 to 24, give us what? The other side of the story, Herod's reaction to Peter's escape, the killing of the guards who were responsible for watching Peter, the worship of Herod as a god, not a man, by the people there who depended upon him for food, and Herod's own death because he did not what? Give God the glory. Quite a, quite a flop there. All of this ending with yet another familiar refrain there in verse 24. Look at it with me. But the word of God increased and multiplied. And that's the real hope of the passage, friends. Continued evidence of the continuation of Jesus' ministry. The promise continues. The gospel goes forward regardless of what happens to Christians. Yes, Peter was rescued this time, but he too will what? Share in Jesus' sufferings and his death. The hope of the passage is that the gospel goes forward because it is the message of the gospel where we are reminded that we serve a God who makes and keeps his promises and that this place now is not in fact our home. 
Our home is with Jesus. That is the promise. And a day is coming when he will return to establish his kingdom here forever. But that day, friends, is not today. This is why, for the Christian, we never experience hope in a hopeless world. But rather, at times, we do experience what seems like little h hopelessness or despair even in a much greater hopeful world. A world where nothing stops the word of God from going forward. A world where nothing stops his plans and his purposes, right, from coming to being. A world where nothing stops his people from being with him. So what does this mean for us today? Two things that I want to leave you with as we think about what it means both to understand ourselves as people of the promise, but also to see that this world is not our home. That we are citizens of another kingdom and that citizenship is and always will be located with Jesus. That the promise for us is that we will be united to Jesus wherever he is. Whether we die before he returns or if we are still here when he returns. That's the promise, friends. And what this does is it gives us as Christians the ability to really and truly rest and to love even in the most hopeless of situations. When you know, as wonderful as this world can be, and it is, that this is not your home, you can rest. And by rest, I don't mean that you no longer care about this place. We should care deeply about this place because, one, it is God's creation, but because he is also redeeming this place before our eyes. But by rest, what I mean is your own life and your personal circumstances are not the controlling narrative for you today. The gospel is. You are controlled and compelled by the life and circumstances of another, of Jesus, who has gone to prepare a place for you should you die and who will raise your body from the grave on the last day when he returns. That gospel must, in fact, be the controlling narrative that runs our lives. And it is the controlling narrative that we see running the lives of these early Christians in Acts. By contrast, just to consider, if you think your life here, your family, your, your, your money, your beauty, whatever it might be, if you think that this is it, that this is your home, and this, this is your final resting place, then those things, friends, become the controlling narrative for your life. Your rest, your peace is tied up in those things, and friends, there is no rest and no peace in them. For Peter, his life, his friends, what happens to him here was not the telos for him, which is another word for the end. So he slept between two prison guards. Later, Paul, who will be in a similar situation in Philippi, will sing while in prison, as we see in Acts 16, which leads early church father John Chrysostom to write, it is beautiful that Paul sings hymns while it's here Peter sleeps in the face of death. Why? Because this place now is not their home. It's with Jesus. And the same is true for you this morning. Their hope, your hope, is not here in this place, in your circumstances, in your life. It is somewhere else. It's in Jesus 
where all true rest is found. And that doesn't mean that we don't care deeply for the things of this world and fight for the good things of this world as Scripture leads us to fight for. Because this world is being prepared for the king's final return, according to the book of Revelation. What it does is it allows us to care for those things appropriately. Which gets to my second takeaway. When Christians are reminded that this place is not their home, they are free then to what? To love generously and sacrificially. In ways that cause the world to look at them and think and scratch their heads, who are these people? How and why do they love like this? Look, all of our days are numbered, are they not? None of us would disagree with that. None of us, by worrying then, can add one second to our lives. And that's because we place our lives in the hands of what? A good father. A good father who sent his son Jesus to die for us. And to die for this world, to forgive us and to redeem this place forever. That is called faith. Do you trust yourself to the goodness of the Father and to Jesus the Son who has accomplished salvation for all and to the Spirit who is applying that salvation as we speak to your life? Because if you do, there's an eternal hope that Peter will write about in 1 Peter 1 that is given to you. A hope that, among other things, says this is not your home. Your home is with Jesus wherever he is. What is so easy to do is to put our faith in Jesus in what? In exchange for a hope and a promise of good life here. I do it all the time. Jesus, I trust you. Now show me your goodness by giving me happiness, giving me joy, success, comfort, whatever it is here. But that is not the gospel. The hope you are promised is not in a good life here, although that might come to you, and I pray that it will. Rather, the hope you are promised is that certainty, is the certainty that where Jesus is, so you will also be. When we exchange faith for hope of a good life here, what we become disconnected, again, to the gospel mission as we see it in Acts. Because hope is not an end of itself, love is is it's faith hope and love but the greatest of these is what love love is the end here not some wish for outcome of our lives or not even the the the, you know the the freedom we sometimes think to sit on our hands as we wait for Jesus to return what kind of faith is that right the Bible never instructs us that as once we believe in Jesus to then just sit and wait around for him to return Because that hope that we're given in that faith is not the end. Love is. And that is expended throughout our lives, even in the most hopeless situations for the sake of the world. Which is why Christians can offer, right, and do have the capacity to actually love others in the midst of their deepest and darkest despair. Nobody else has that capacity. Do you realize that? Nobody has a reason to be able to give and to love, even in the darkest of moments. When you read Peter's final letters in 1 and 2 Peter, and I, and I would encourage you to do so this week, they're not long, you see and hear on every page what I just described. Peter knows this is it for him, and he is not bitter, he is not angry, he's not disappointed, he's not scared. He is full of love for the church and the gospel message that is Christ. It's remarkable. 
And I'm not saying he's some human, superhuman figure that doesn't ever have worry and despair. It's just that that worry and despair and, 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 the, and the circumstances that, that creep in and, and, and cause us to fear are not the controlling narrative of his life. The gospel is that this is not a home where Jesus is, is my home. Look, I wish we had more time to consider this, but there is great mystery in this life, as you know, with regard to God's providence, especially here in Acts 12. I am certain that many ask, why did God not allow James to be freed here? This is one of many places where God just chooses to act in one way and not another. Why, why is it that John gets exiled to, his brother gets exiled to the island of Patmos? Why does Peter get freed here? Right? There's, there's all kinds of mystery and providence here. We experience that in our own life. And while we can discuss that over lunch, what we must see is that faith allows us to live into the hope that we have in any circumstance in Christ that ultimately leads us, what? To love generously and sacrificially today. In any circumstance, because this is not all there is, and you know it. This world is not your home. Being with Jesus is who has given you his spirit and, in, and is with you always till the end of the age. So love generously and sacrificially, because that is the gospel mission as we see in Acts moving out into the world for the sake of the world. So I'll ask you this morning, do you have rest in your life today the way that the gospel offers it? Or are you anxious? Are you worried about some outcome or whether you will be able to obtain and hold on to a certain vision of success and happiness in this life? Because there is no security outside of what Jesus provides. Say it often. This is why Peter sleeps and this is why Paul sings in the face of death. Again, it's not that worry didn't creep in, friends. It's that that worry was not the controlling narrative of their life. Another narrative controlled their life, one of promise, which was evidenced in their lives as well as countless others in Scripture who poured their lives out as an offering in love and service for this world, for their King Jesus. Because their hope was secure. They loved till the end, just like Jesus did for them and just like Jesus did for you. He loved you till the end. That, friends, must be and is the narrative that must speak the loudest of all other narratives that enter your mind throughout the week. All the things that creep in and tell us who we are, all the things that creep in and tell us who we should be, that control us, our fears that move us into different directions, right? those have got to take a back seat, if not die altogether, to the narrative of another, a promise that is Jesus Christ, who has come to secure eternal life for you with him. That's our song. That's our narrative. May Christ's love for us then be that controlling narrative for our lives that moves us to love till what? Till the end, friends. Till the end, let me pray for us. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this text in Acts, and we thank you for the gospel and the biblical writers that give us these accounts and show us life and teach us how to navigate this 
to the appropriate narrative that is your truth and love for us in Jesus. May we be people who can't actually sleep in the midst of hopeless situations, knowing that this is not the end, this is not our home. May we be so tied to you and so in love with you that we would have rest and peace. And may that in the meantime then be what compels us to go and love the unlovely of this world, which is exactly what you did for us. We ask this for your glory alone, we pray. Amen.